I am looking at the line of the prophet Elisha, and uh, we've got a very familiar passage uh, this morning to look at from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story that I'm sure that you know really well. I do believe that the things that God would have us to focus on. The passage, the heading in my Bible is Naaman healed of leprosy. That's a great story. So let's just read the record. I guess I'll put up my graphics in the highlight. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the Queen of Arab. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Abraham. He was a valiant soldier, but he had lepers. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from and she served Naaman's wife. She said to him, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leopard. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six each shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his letter. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he twice told him, said, I am not God. Can I kill and bring back to the people? Why does this fellow then summon me to be cured of his leper? See how he is trying to fix the quarrel. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he said, Why are you torn your robes? The man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in his. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure my lepers. Are not Abana and Farah, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Could I wash it down and be cleansed? So he turned and moved off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you what will be done? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God told him. His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. 
And even though Mammon urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Mammon, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Reven to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I bow down there also. When I bow down in the temple of Reven, may the Lord forgive your servant for that. Go in peace, that I should add. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on them and the Aramean, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. Surely, if the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehenna hurried after them, and when Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Everything all right? Everything is all right, Gehenna answered. My master sent me. Day, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of twelve. By all means, take two talents, said Nair. He urged Gehazan to accept, and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of twelve. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazan. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things away from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been? Gehazi, Elisha asked. Oh, you know, your servant didn't go anywhere. Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you? When the man got down from his chariot to meet you, is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or many servants and maiden servants? Mammon's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's prayer, and he was leprous as white as snow. What an extraordinary story. You pray that God is just that time that you come. And through the power of your spirit, would you open up your position? Give us an understanding that we might learn, and in learning, oh God, that we might find the love that we have for you over there. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. What well, a well-known passage this is. But by way of background, I think it would be useful for me to say to you that leprosy in the Bible is not what we call Hansen's disease today. If you look at the note in the bottom of the page, you'll probably see that it refers to a skin condition. Uh, have you ever had dry skin on your hands or on your feet? Well, if you have, then in biblical terms, you would be viewed as somebody who had leprosy. I'm not sure about Andrew, but how that fits into it, but maybe, maybe that's the same. So when folks suffered from 
lepers. He, uh, while it wasn't a faith uh, a condition that killed anybody, it was a terrible condition to have because people were isolated and avoided. We read in Leviticus the instructions as to how to deal with folks in a, a condition like that. The person with such an infection. Disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt and cover the lower part of his face and cry out unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone, he must live outside the camp. Now, that would be a terrible information for anybody, wouldn't it? So, this man, Naaman, though he wasn't an Israelite, he had this uh, condition and uh, it was very difficult for him. So now let's turn to the text and learn together some really significant truths. There are a couple of things that are worth pointing out. The first is that, that God is sovereign. That simply means that God is king. And he sits on the throne and he rules and he overrules. And that's, that's illustrated beautifully in the text. Verse 1, now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aaron. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Well, uh, we're introduced to this man who had everything. He had position, he had esteem, he had success, he had reputation. Well, why? Well, because it says the Lord had given victory to Aaron. So the Lord had his hand on that man's life and used him to win military victories. God was the God of Israel, but God is not just the God of Israel. He's the God who rules over every single nation. He ruled over Aram, the enemy of Israel. And God gave Naaman military success. You see, God controlled Syrian politics and foreign affairs. And isn't that what the psalmist tells us that the earth is the Lord that everything in it, the world and all who live in it? And yes, we might have messed this one, but God is on his throne, ruling and overruling. God is the God of the church. He's also the Lord of the world and he exercises his sovereign will over all the earth. But this man Naaman had a problem. It just says that last thing, but he had leprosy. We're introduced to a little girl in verse two. Now the bands of Aaron had gone out and they'd taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. Here is a little girl whose age and name we don't know. The whole, the story of the whole, this whole chapter hangs on this little girl. And we wonder what age she was when the way went. We wondered where her parents were. What was it like to be wrenched away from her family, her friends, her home? Surely that little girl must have been absolutely traumatized. And yet, amazingly, this little girl begins to express genuine love for me. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Whatever dream she had as a little girl living with her family in, in the village, 
whatever dreams for the future they'd all be absolutely smacked in the front. And yet, wonderfully, she wasn't consumed by hatred and bitterness. And the other thing we noticed in this was that she had a genuine faith in God. Amazing, a genuine faith in God. And it seemed that she'd been well taught when she was a little girl at home, maybe by her parents, maybe in the most we don't know. But what we do know is she knew of the prophet Elisha. And she had absolute confidence that God worked not only in Elisha, but through Elisha the prophet. Now, note this without this little girl, Naaman wouldn't have been healed. Now, people are sometimes brought into the kingdom of God at great cost to other people. Let me say that again. People are sometimes brought into the kingdom of God at great cost. God very often uses people to impact others. And, and sometimes we think, oh, that's kind of a coincidental thing. But it is, because God is on the throne. Captain Little Girl, I heard a story about a man called Arno Gabeline, who wrote a book called Study in Zachariah. And he decided that he would send a copy of this to all of the rabbis in the greater New York area. And that's what he did. And you know, he never got the non from any of those rabbis that he sent the book to. But after a while, a young Jewish convert, a Messianic Jew, started attending Gabriel's meetings. And, and, and Gabriel was fascinated. And what emerged was this that this young man had been a secretary to a famous rabbi. And this famous rabbi had received this book in the post from Gabriel. And he looked at it and he threw it in the bin. But the secretary took it out of the bin and thought, oh, I'll read that. And he read it and he came to know Jesus. Isn't God's sovereignty absolutely fascinating and wonderful? God is on his throne. Well, look at verse four and five. Men and went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go to the king of Aram, replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, thick thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Well, yesterday I checked him, and six thousand shekels amount of gold that amounted to about 150 pounds weight of gold, which at yesterday's gold prices. Is over 2.5 million pounds. What could you do with that today? Well, imagine this man came to the prophet with this massive amount of money and came to the king, wanting the king to organize his cure. Well, Naaman goes to the king uh, and he thinks he's got enough money to pay for the prophet. It's unlikely. The king of Aram thought that any prophet on whom God's power rested would surely be connected. Oh, I've not said that correctly. Let me say that again. The, the king of Aram was convinced that if God's hand was on the prophet, that the prophet would almost certainly be hanging around with the king. 
he would be in the king's court because the king would want to keep their clothes. Hence, the, the letter that was sent. But the king of Israel panicked. When the letter, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, My God, kill, bring back to life. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be curious? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with He was convinced that there was some kind of political subterfuge going on. Now, the faith of that little girl stands out in stark contrast to the despair of the king of Israel. The king of Israel never thought to pray. He never thought of the prophet. He never thought of God at all. You see, the king of Israel knows nothing of the power of God. Oh, yes, he probably knows that God can do miracles, but it never occurs to him to look to God himself. He's into politics. He's not into faith. He didn't have faith. For him, God was a million miles away. And that seems to be the case in Israel. I find it interesting that the, the people, the people of the covenant, didn't appear to have faith in the God of the covenant. The people of the covenant didn't have faith, the faith of the covenant. And I think there's a warning here for us because I think it's possible for us to move in Christian circles, but not actually know Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But many will say on that day, Lord, I gave generously, I, I taught Sunday school. I went to church Christmas Easter and a few times in between. Jesus was saying, I never knew you. So I harvest that in Matthew's gospel. Well, Naaman thought that his letter would impress and influence the prophet. And yet, God is at nobody's back and call. God is God. No earthly king can dictate to the king of kings. Doesn't matter who we know, God cannot be coerced into blessing us because we mention the right names. Naaman thought that his letter was cure healing. Little verse that's translated in the message in Psalm uh, 49 is interesting. It says there's no such thing as self-rescue. Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The cost of rescue is beyond our means, and even then, it doesn't guarantee life forever or insurance against the black hole. You see, we need rescuing. We, no matter how good we are, we can't pull ourselves up. You should try it. Stand in a bucket, grab the handle, and see if you can lift yourself off the ground. We just can't do it. It's impossible. A man may be wealthy. But deep down, we're all the same. We are spiritually bankrupt and in need of rescue. We need to be rescued. That's why Jesus came. That was the reason he came, to rescue us from the consequences of our own sin. And God cannot be bought in any way, even if he could, 
we wouldn't have the resources. We just wouldn't. God's sovereignty. The second thing we notice is this God's ways. And this is really important. The king of Israel didn't know what to do, but Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes and sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, I don't suppose Elisha's home was very grand or upmarket. But I guess his neighbors, if he had neighbors, would have been really impressed when Naaman's chariot turns out with all his servants. They would have been really impressed. And I guess, too, that Naaman wouldn't have been very impressed growing up outside the country because it's probably just an ordinary. Not a palace, just an ordinary. But from this, we learn some really interesting things. We don't go on in such You see, we don't approach God in our own terms. We have to approach God on His terms. And this comes out very clearly in, in what happens next. But the first thing we notice, and I'm just putting it very simply, is we need to humble our mind. Elijah didn't come out and greet the man. That maybe wasn't a very polite thing to do. Maybe you think that Elijah needed a lesson of people's kids. It would have been maybe nice to go, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. You're both welcome. You fancy a cup of coffee or, or whatever the equivalent. But he didn't do that. He didn't go out to him at all. He was a really important player. Actually, Naaman was filled with self importance. So Elijah gets sent out a servant with a message. He, and he said, uh, Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Well, when Naaman got the message, he got really annoyed because he felt the prophet had not behaved appropriately. And he was so angry, Naaman went away and he said, I thought he would come out. Surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my lepers. But Elisha didn't do that. Naaman was important, a man to be reckoned with and respected. And yet Elisha treated him as a leper who needed to be healed. He didn't treat him as an important man, he treated him as a leper who needed to be healed. And Naaman didn't like that. He said, I think deep down, Naaman wanted Elisha to make a fuss over. And I think that deep down, that's something that we'd rather like as well. We'd like God to make a big fuss over us. And yet God tells us in his word that he doesn't have any fuss. He treats us all the same. Every single one of us. That means he treats King David the Apostle Paul, Michael, and you, exactly the same. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter about your life's experience, he treats us all the same because he loves us individually. So the first thing we need to know is if we have come to God, we've got to humble our pride. We've got to humble our pride. And the second thing we notice is the reverse to reverse our expectations. 
But Naaman expected the prophet Elisha to come out and to wave his hand around and to, to do some miraculous thing in the healing. In other words, Naaman had worked out how it all should happen. Naaman had, Naaman had actually written the script for God. He wanted something more than a mere promise. Elisha said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman wanted some kind of spiritual razzmatazz. Is it not true that you and I often have our own ideas about how God should work? Don't we sometimes go to him with our plan? We just say, you just find here, Lord, and that would be great. I, I find myself doing that all the time in prayer. Lord, if only you would do this, and that would be oh, Lord, would be so wonderful. People would turn to you. But we can't write the script for God because we're not God. He is sovereign. He is sitting on the ground, and he knows what's that. And when God doesn't do what we think he should do, we get disappointed. We not only want God's blessings, we want to specify the way in which we must bring those blessings about. And when we do that, we actually reduce the sovereign God to the status of an errand boy running messages, messages for us. But God is not like that. We need to think about our expectations. And, and, and then sometimes we have to acknowledge that um, our thinking is offended. He was told to walk seven times in the Jordan, and I don't know if you've been to Israel, but I haven't. My wife has been twice, and she was baptized in the Jordan. I don't know whether the river is polluted, uh, certainly not because she was baptized in it, but that's a picture of the Jordan. It's, it's a money that you dream that we wouldn't think how a lot of it's often. It's, it's, it's nothing like the Tay or even the Clyde. It's just a small, muddy little, little kind of stream, maybe a little bit larger than the sea, but it's not very big. And Naaman was, was told to walk seven times. And why did it have to be the Jordan? Because the Jordan really wasn't very aggressive. And so he got on his high horse and said, Are not uh, Abana and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in one of them and be cleansed? So he turned uh, and went away in rage. And you know, some folks, when they are told that to get right with God, all we need to do is to come to God and to tell him that we've made sin. And again, I'll tell you, who do you think you are to tell me that I'm a sinner? And they get annoyed. Well, he got annoyed. And yet, his servants spoke to him. They must have cared for him. And they said, look, if, if he told you to do something big, great, you would have done it, wouldn't you? So this isn't the big thing. Why, why don't you? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so uh, he, he went to verse, verse uh, Oh, I've missed a reference there. Well, he, 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 he didn't give uh, name and freedom to negotiate. It was a case, Elisha, as far as Elisha was concerned, it was to do this for the fair leper. Do this for the fair leper. There's only one way. And you've got to go and dip in the, in the Jordan seven times. Now, Paul preached 
we preach God's truth by the suffering of the Jews and believers for the Gentiles, and there are such who think that the gospel is beautiful. I felt that way when I drove past a little gospel hall in my hometown and it had Bible texts. They're suckers, they don't know what life's about. Not realizing that when I was the one who didn't know what life was about. And I was the one who was. I don't think spiritualizing, I don't think I'm spiritualizing to point out how Naaman's complaints of the very objections that many people make to the gospel. Naaman didn't like the humiliation of the gospel. He didn't like the simplicity of the gospel. Why? And the pain. He didn't like the narrowness of the gospel. It was too much for a man who thought he was somebody. Very, very sad now, isn't it? I, I love a story that is told by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was uh, the founder of the Moody Bible Institute, and God used him in a mighty way, uh, both in America and in Scotland. But in the 1880s, he came over to London, and he has conducted a series of meetings, and every meeting, uh, every night, the meetings got larger and larger. And one night, as Moody was just climbing the steps, Go into the program and preach. A stranger came up to him and pressed an envelope into his hand. And, and during the introductions, Moody opened the envelope. He wasn't sure what was in it. And, and there was just a piece of paper with one word in the envelope, and it, the word was food. Food. So Moody stood up and he walked to the podium and he said, I have received many letters from people in the past. Do not sign their names. But this evening, I received a letter that contained just a signature. The signature food. And Moody began to preach, and he preached on that text. He changed his text. This wasn't the message he was prepared to preach. He, he preached on Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool said to his heart, there is no God. And, and as he preached that was extraordinary. There were a great number of people came to faith in Jesus. Were converted from atheism and stepped into the kingdom of God. How wonderful was, was that? And when we come to Jesus, it makes a difference for us. Dr. Martin and Jones used to talk about uh, uh, a little boy who told his teacher that for dinner he had had uh, uh, gravy, potatoes, meat, uh, cabbage, and even rice pudding. And the teacher, oh, well, that's lovely, but, but didn't understand why the little boy had told him the story. And the little boy uh, went on to explain that my father has been converted. He used to go down to the pub on Friday nights and boot himself silly, but now he brought home his money to feed the family. A changed life. And there was a, 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 a young lady who was quizzed by uh, Spurgeon. Um, Wanting to um, Spurgeon wanted to wanted to join the Met Club, and um, when he pressed her for evidence that Christ had changed her 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 life, um, uh, she said, "Well, I sweep under the mats now. I sweep under the mats now." So coming to Christ makes a real difference in a man's life. So God is sovereign. God's ways, he sets out the terms and the approaching 
And then we have done, done work five times. We see Naaman addressing Elijah and calling himself your servant. What an extraordinary change of attitude. Look at his, his confession. He says, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now gift from your servant. It was sad that Elijah couldn't get more into him to believe that. Mammon had been trained physically, but God also had done a work of grace in his heart to change him. Look at verse 17. Oops. He says, Please let me, your servant, be given as much as a pair of mules to carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. You see, he thought that the God of Israel lived only in Israel. So he wanted to bring a bit of Israel with him to where he was going so he could worship the God of Israel. <laughs> Which was a kind of a, uh, while it, it indicated that, uh, a shallowness of understanding, we're, we're, we're wise if we don't focus on the sacks of soil, but focus on the fact of Naaman's commitment. He, he's going back home to Amen, where he's going to worship God. And he's amazingly sensitive. Look in verse 18. May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of women to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, I bow down there also. And when I bow down in the temple of the may the Lord forgive me, forgive your servant for this. I find that's interesting that man is, uh, is asking for forgiveness in advance for something he feels he just can't avoid. And some folks get pretty uptight about that. And they think, well, this kind of And yet, man feels the rub between his allegiance to God and the expectations of his work life. It bothers him, but interestingly enough, it doesn't seem to bother him, I should work. That interesting. It doesn't bother Elisha. When God works in a life, he always brings about change. God healed the, the, the leprosy, and God's grace turned Naaman into a faithful worshiper. As I just said, when God's strength touches our lives, it, it brings about change to the man whose money was changed uh, into food for his family. And Spurgeon interviewed that young lady, and she talked about the difference in her life. She now slept under the mats and not just slept up under the mats. Her life was different, and that's what happens when we come to God. He changes our lives. There's evidence. And Naaman's faith far outstrips the faith of the Israelites. This foreign Gentile condemns Israel by his faith. He received the blessings that Israel died while Israel was passed by. That's what Jesus thought. Do you remember in Luke 24, Jesus said there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And the folks in Nazareth were absolutely furious. <laughs> they were furious. And they weren't upset because God showed kindness and mercy to the church. They were upset because God healed men while passing the Israelite lepers by. 
That's why the folks at NASA, NASA are furious. Do you know, there are times when we get into a rut that is so deep, it's, it's a groove, and we, we kind of just do the stuff we've always done because we've always done it. And we lose the freshness, and we lose the reality within our identity. So we come to church, have, have a nice service, go home, get all about it. Unless we choose that road creature for life, which is sometimes tender and sometimes it's a bit tough. But what is God want? God wants authenticity in our life. And if, if there isn't a freshness in our whether we should be confined or now, I know God in his wisdom chooses to allow us to go through periods of darkness and difficulties. And the truth is, we actually learn more through the difficulties of darkness than we do in terms of blessing. If you think about it, we talk about mountaintop experiences that you have there, and they're close to heaven, and they have great abuse like that. But have you ever noticed that there's nothing that really grows in the top of the mountain? All the growth is down in the valley. And when you're on the top of the mountain, whichever way you go, you're going to go generally, it's never right. And that's part of the journey that we're on. Hebrews 12 tells us that we, we run the race that's marked down for us. I couldn't run your race. You couldn't run my race. But we, we run the race. And sometimes don't think that we can take. But he knows what he's doing. We saw that we had problems. But I think it was servant Gehazi. Gehazi thought, oh boy, Elisha missed a trip. You know, I could, I could get some. So he organizes to run after. <coughs> he manages to, to get some silver and a couple of outfits. I don't know when he thought he was going to wear the outfits because so he realized that as a servant, he wasn't going to. Um, normally a wardrobe of a such filled with Versace stuff. So people would know when it was out. But of course, he really didn't understand, did he, the awesome nature of the God that Elijah went through. And of course, he was found out. And the leprosy, the man that was cured of, landed on him. It's a dangerous thing to play fast and lose with God. It really is a dangerous thing to play fast and lose with God. And this morning we had a, a, a phone call or a, a message in to say that a retired pastor who worked in workers at KBT uh, is in the hospital and he's dying. Just like surgery that he's dying this morning. We were praying that he wouldn't have a long family. And that just is a stark reminder that we are only ever one heartbeat away from eternity. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to ask you why. Why? You have to take the opportunity in a lifetime, in the lifetime of the opportunity. Because none of us knows how soon it will be too late. 
how extraordinarily kind God is. He wants that Gentile. He is the Lord. But if we come to God, we come to Him. He reaches out. He makes it up with He didn't mind. He's done it in positive history. How good is God? That's my dream. Thank you, Father. You include stories like the story of Naaman and Elisha in your word for us to read and learn lessons from. And we pray that the lessons that we've been thinking about this morning might linger in our hearts, that, that we might be very careful in the way in which we seek to connect with you and relate to you, God. Help us so that we don't approach you with expectations that are in the Bible. Help us so that we never lay down terms that need to be fulfilled in order for us to you. Just remind us today that you are God, you are awesome and mighty and divine and holy. And that we come before you only because Jesus has made it possible. So please, Father, would you lock all of these things in God? Make them a blessing. And in your mercy, we ask blessing of God. Please, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray.